Particularly precarious. The good news is, he is locked in his room, um, so you know he can't do any real damage if he wakes up and we're still going. Uh, it's just a question of how long I want to leave a almost three year old yelling at, in a doorway. Have you considered drugging him? Have I considered it? Of course. Yeah. Have I done it? Yeah. Uh, only when it's necessary <laughs> for like a, a sickness. You know, I try not to drug him just for my purposes, uh, if at all avoidable. Right. But what about my <laughs> I mean, I, I actually, I do think that's like less problematic, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Less problematic. My, my needs. I yeah. Agree. Because yeah, if, if a parent is just drugging their child for their own good, that, that feels like a, that has the potential. That to feels like a law and order episode. It yeah. sure does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, Parenting so 101 to, from the yes. toy department. Yep. We are serious about being short today, so let's, uh, let's jump into Top Chef uh, for the week. Um, okay. I have one thing I want to start with here, which is um, – I don't know if this was deliberate, uh, deliberately part of what they were doing um, or if they were just trying to screw with the actual contestants on the actual show. But I got to tell you, I was hot when I thought there was going to be another episode without a quick fire. I was ready to come <laughs> on here. <laughs> I was ready to light that fire. show up. How dare they skip another quick fire? That's part of what I enjoy about the show. Um, so I was incredibly relieved when it was just a switcheroo with the quick fire in the middle of the uh, smoker cook time. Uh, and then, you know, I, I mean, spoiler alert, although if you haven't watched Top Chef, why are you even listening to this portion of the podcast? Um, I'm so glad that Evelyn won and so happy for Evelyn to have won this challenge in particular. Oh, wait, before we get on to the challenge, to the elimination challenge, I, I did want to ask, like, didn't you think after that switcheroo and all that, that the quick fire itself was kind of forgettable? Uh, yes. But yeah. at the same time, I, I think it, to a degree, continued to establish a hierarchy that I think we've started to catch on to the last couple weeks, um, specifically that Damar and Jackson are the two favorites right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, Damar wasn't in the top three this week, but in another outstanding dish from him. Nothing, nothing that would uh, knock you off his scent. Um, yeah, well, and but he was he was 
in both the elimination and the quickfire challenge, the comments about what DeMar did were just glowing. Just glowing. Even though he wasn't one of the finalists or whatever. Right. So clearly, because Jackson was in the top three, uh, I guess they, they liked his dish even better. And I have to say, for a man who can't taste. <laughs> Unbelievable. To, to be where he's been at so far, it is. They, you got to like the chat. You got to like the talent there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, basically, because that's just pure talent. Right? Like, he he is just so good at this that he doesn't make mistakes that he has to correct by tasting and adjusting. Yep. To this point, at least. It's really, it's pretty remarkable, especially when he he's doing things like he did in the Elimination Challenge, where he's like, I know this is probably a cardinal sin, but I'm going to grind up this goddamn brisket. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it is something when these contestants take risks like that, where they know it's a risk and they know that, right? Like the the penalty for failure is going home because I don't think like the losing dishes were terrible. No, you know, in no. this in this episode, it's been just a high level, right? Like they have been so complimentary of the food as a, as a group. I feel like this season. Agreed, and, and I thought again, particularly this week, like you said that. Everything was pretty good. They even said, you know, the judges and and the all uh, many of the guests, like, you know what? Pretty much all the meat was pretty good. Ashley undersalted hers, but you know, she said that as soon as she took it out of the wrapper and tasted it. Right? That's the tough yeah. part of brisket. You don't you don't know until you know, and then it's too late to to change it. Um, and I think that was part of why she fell prey to the overthinking. Right? Is she was scrambling to try to find ways to overcome an undersalted piece of meat. And that was her downfall. Um, you know, I think that's all of the bottom chefs had a story that mirrored that in some way, you know, um, that just like there was, there was an, a single error made in Joe's case. It was ignoring her instinct to just, shift up and highlight the brisket and sticking with a pasta that did not successfully highlight the brisket. Right. Like, uh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. well, I was just going to say all of those things still probably tasted pretty good, but they all made one relatively straightforward mistake that uh, got them sent into the bottom yeah. three. Um, Each of them all made one mistake. I think they were all pretty clear on their, what their one mistake was. So. Yeah. And they um, all kind of knew going in, you know, you could see after Joe served her food, she knew she had not served her best food. Like she was not happy before she got any feedback, right? Um, yeah. But I gotta say, I overall, and again back to Jackson, I couldn't believe you know they cut around to all the like, because you the, the judges are all fancy people, right? So yeah, it's a brisket challenge, but like well. The, the the regular judges on the show, but they had a lot of not fancy brisket experts in that room. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it's one thing for the the judges' table to look at Jackson's fancy ass stuffed pasta with ground up brisket and say this is fantastic. But when the like random Texas pitmasters are saying it, you know he really did something special. And I thought overall 
the like room full of Texas pitmasters largely responded really well to what under other circumstances might be considered, you know, crimes against brisket. <laughs> By the way, we got this far. I didn't mention Buddhist, which I thought was uh, really visually striking. And the judge clearly seemed depressed by um, as well. He's a threat. And, you know, we mentioned we, we did sort of a, have we underestimated Evelyn in in that group last week. Yeah. Uh, clearly we have. Like, we got to start thinking of her as a contender, I think. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure that those four we've sort of talked about so far are not the top four. Damar, Jackson, um, Buddha, and Evelyn. And Evelyn? I mean, yeah, I think that's where we're at. It changes to some extent week to week because there are so many good chefs. I think Nick generally did a really great job this week. Um, So I'm just noticing this. Nick is the only contestant who has yet to be on the top or bottom. No, he he got into the top of, of the quick fire, didn't he? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean in the elimination challenges. I'm not okay, kidding. okay. He's, he's done well in quick fires. Yeah. Um, I, so that's something he's week, talked right? about. Yeah. That, like, he's sick of being stuck in the middle. Um, yeah. But I, I – again, it, that, that top four could shift a little bit, but – after this episode and considering the, the totality of the season, I feel like those four really do sort of stand out right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, and I guess this is a little bit, you know, jumping the last chance kitchen. I'm not going to entirely give up on Ashlyn yet. I think she seems to be the high variance chef. I think you're right. Plates that she's putting out. But based on that variance and the fact that she was just in Last Chance Kitchen, I don't think it would be fair to put her into that level of the top four right now. Agreed. I I agree. I don't think she's in the top four, but I kind of have her five still, if that makes sense. Yeah, I um, think that's fair. And, you know, watch out for Monique, too. I I, I still think even though she was in the bottom this week, she she just needs to be a little more adventurous, I think, is her problem. She's been been playing it too safe the last few weeks. I would agree with that. Um, and, and she might be the person who on the face of it, it appears least comfortable just over, just yes. as, a, as a human in this challenge. Um, She's in her head a little bit. I think. Yeah. As far as that fifth spot, you know, it certainly, certainly could be Ashley. I, I, Jay is right there for me. Um, and you know, I, I like you said, Monique, and I would put Luke and even Nick in the category of like they're sort of lurking right now, but they're absolutely could could shoot up with a, with a couple of good weeks, which which seems well within their capabilities. There are just no weak chefs left, and lurking s- but capable. Yes, and we still do not have restaurant wars on the horizon, like. I assume you watched the scenes from next week. It's not Restaurant Wars. I did not, because for, for whatever reason, the uh, – and by the way, shit, you know, Bravo TV. Can we put the damn episodes on Bravo TV like the day after at some point? Is that – It's nuts. Now, now, what are you um, doing? Like just going on the web to Bravo or or what? That's what I'm doing. Just go to bravotv.com, and I had nothing. But eventually I figured out how to watch it 
on on my direct TV account, okay. um, remotely on demand. If that makes sense. So, but, but wherever I was, I did not get any scenes from next week, so I don't know uh, what, what's what's up next week. But just based on the numbers, right? They're down to ten now. Is that right? I think it's so, less because it's. I mean, when Ashley returns, right? It'll be Ashley, Buddha. It's Ted with Ashley. Okay. I just count. So, so two more weeks probably before Restaurant Wars would be my guess. Yeah, maybe if it's a four on four, which I guess it has to be because it's not five on five. Um, So traditionally, it is a four on four. I mean, there's nothing stopping it from doing five on five, but traditionally, it's four on four. Right. Well, it was five on five years ago, wasn't it? It's just the last couple. Of, whatever. Who cares? This is pointless. Uh, it's clearly going to be hit four on four this year. And, like, to your point, especially if you think of Ashley as just as valid a, uh, you know, uh, contestant for the top five as anyone, who's at the bottom right now? It's so good, I don't even know who it would be. I mean, Luke, yeah. I guess it's Luke, but that guy is absolutely I, a threat. I think I have Joe at the bottom right now. Okay, and she did have a bad week, but... Two in a row. She's been at the bottom two weeks in a row. Yeah, but but she's also had some spectacular stuff, so it's, it's just tough. It's a really tough yeah. group right now, and it's an excellent season of Top Chef. I have... Never in my life wanted to go to Houston as much as in the moment that Evelyn won this challenge and I wanted to visit her restaurant so badly. You know, I am, I am in the city where Jamar's restaurant is. And, yeah, baby. Uh, I am uh, definitely trying to plot over there, but you got to put down a deposit for reservations and my, my traveling companions, I don't know, were needed a little bit more flexibility than that. So I haven't been able to make it happen. But man, I want to eat that guy's food. I don't even know if he's cooking there anymore, right? Because it's not in his restaurant. Right. But, um, but I wouldn't mind, would mind sampling it a little bit. You know what I mean? Whether his hands in it or not. Because he, he certainly is crushing it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I um, mean... All right. It seems to me that he... Uh, Sorry, I'm reading his bio on the on the website. It seems to me that he is sort of a partner in that restaurant, so I would not be surprised that if he is still cooking there. Yeah, well, that would that would be great. So maybe I'll, if I don't get there this time, try we'll try to get over there next time. Um, all right, let's move on to Atlanta, shall we? Unless yeah, baby. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, no, I, I think that's good. I, I, I continue to quite enjoy season 19 of Top Chef. Yeah. I want to, you know, the, the one thing I, I, I would say is that I think Evelyn's dish got as much praise uh, as I've heard at a judge's table. <laughs> like, like, I was no doubt in my mind that he was winning just based on the comments at, at the table between the three of them. So, uh, so good for her. Um, all right, so Atlanta. I I watched the first two episodes. This is where you're at, correct? Correct. All right. Two it was an interesting batch of episodes that I would say, um, fairly classic Atlanta archetypes. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have like the the wild detour with like a little bit of a spook story. Uh huh. Um, 
you know, in, in the one episode and the man, look at white people are weird <laughs> in the second episode. But I enjoyed it both. Um, you know, the show does what it does. Can I ask, did you watch it on like FX or on Hulu? I believe that I watched it on FX because I think it was on DVR. Yes. Okay. So then you probably did not notice the episode descriptions. I did actually notice the episode description. The first one was like, you know, uh, we've been gone 50 years and this is here, it. This is what you bring back. Here like are the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Since we've all, we're only talking about the two, here are the two. Um, <laughs> here are the two episode descriptions of the first two episodes. The first episode is called Three Slaps, um, which makes a lot of sense if you watch it. And the description is, wow, it's been a minute. I mean, I like this episode about the troubled kid, but we waited 50 years for this. <laughs> the the description the description of the second episode, which is entitled Sinterklaas is Coming to Town and is about uh, they essentially find themselves in the middle of a, an incredibly racist Dutch tradition uh, of the holidays. That I think is like kind of real, right? Like that's, a, like that's not based in, like I didn't just make that up, right? I don't know how real it is, but it's certainly based in some level of reality, yes. Like I don't know if people are wandering the streets like that these days in Amsterdam or what have you, but it's it's not too far off if it's not real. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to look into it. But the point is, here's the description. I think everybody knows blackface ain't cool anymore. We get it. They be trying too hard to go viral. <laughs> I mean, I bring this up because it's an example of how, as with, I think, all of his projects, particularly like over the last several years, Donald Glover approaches the entirety of the thing as the work of art. And for the TV show, that's every piece of it. That's the new uh, Salvador Dali-esque cover photo that has appeared on Hulu. It's the episode titles and descriptions. It's honestly, to your point, the sort of wild detour into a spooky story is so Atlanta and like not out of character that I don't think they even needed it to be a dream at the end, right? It could have just been that was an episode and nobody would have been like, what the hell is Atlanta doing? How dare they? You know what I'm saying? Um, But, you know, every single piece of it is a party to the, the whole work of art. And I just so appreciate it. And it's so interesting on so many levels. It continues to be unbelievably funny. Lakeith Stanfield is truly one of the greatest living actors we have. Like, I don't know how else to say it. This part is pure genius, and it is... This guy was the, you know, dour, somewhat... I don't even know how to describe it. Traitorous lead of Judah and the Black, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Like, 
this this guy was the the lead of Sorry to Bother You. And this character of Darius is so ridiculously specific and wonderful and hilarious and what was the movie reference he makes to Van in the car? Do you remember? Oh my god. And it and like offends her. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't. It was so but it was so the movie was so random and but yet so like appropriate to the character, you know what I mean? That was like, oh yeah. It just made sense, you know what I mean? Yes, um, and and Darius is like we know who he is. And when he shows up blonde, it's it's somehow perfect. And Lakeith Stanfield just, like I think you just said, understands who that character is so specifically and perfectly. It's an incredible thing to watch. It really is. Yeah. It makes it look consistent. Look, and we got this far and, like, didn't mention that, like, you know, uh, Citric Glass has one of the one of the more like like a really really shocking scene. Yes, you know, um, that's like kind of kind of Gonzo, and that's the thing. It's like the show could go to that place, and it's built out this world that is um, so vivid and so uh, unique, and I don't know. Insane is not even quite the word. So old that when something like that happens it honestly it just, just feels like part like yeah that was an alien episode so um you know there's nothing quite like it i'll be sad when it's gone that's right and they end up in that crazy place just because they find like van says she's lost and darius typically and perfectly is like well, you just got to sort of follow the universe. And then she finds an address in the pocket of a, of a jacket she bought at a thrift store. <laughs> and, they're, and they're off on a strange Atlanta adventure in Amsterdam. That's a, yeah, that's a tremendous like alliteration. Van, when Van just starts lying, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, he's ready to go with her because they just have the understand. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, this, this is what we're doing now. It's great. Um, all right, uh, let's talk about Life in Bed, uh, which okay. I uh, thought was a little bit less successful than these episodes of Atlanta. I, I for me, I, I watched two of them. I think that's um, how many I watched as well. I may have watched it, three, you know, and I and I, I, I get the sense that, uh, as the uh, as that couple breaks up, obviously we're going to see a little bit more of Amy and maybe the tonal change, but for me, the, it's trying to live in that sort of dramedy area and it just, the, the balance is not quite right. Like, it, I need a little bit more funny and a little a little less awkward. And um, I would agree, but can I know, tell you God, Amy Schumer's a mess, you know? Agreed. That's what the first two episodes are. I was similarly uh, disappointed, I guess. Uh, do you remember what we said when we decided to watch this show? I don't. Because <laughs> neither did I until I just now looked at the the Life and Beth page on Hulu to see if I had actually watched three and realized I had not and saw the cover photo for the third episode. Um, okay. What we What we said, I believe the sentence you said or close to it when we assigned this as homework was 
Uh, we've heard that Amy Schumer and Michael Sarah are very good in this, and we're excited to see it. And yeah, we haven't gotten to Michael Sarah yet. <laughs> I had totally forgotten that he was going to show up, and that actually makes me want to continue watching it. And I'm actually noticing as well, Jonathan Groff is going to show up at some point too. Um, so, you know, it is ten episodes. And two whole episodes is a bit much uh, sort of exposition like or like not even not even exposition, like uh, a prelude, if you will. But I guess maybe I have some hope that the arrival of Michael Sarah and sort of uh, a change in in lifestyle will affect the show. Yeah, I would say I would not be ready to make a recommendation to somebody about Love Edition last this. I feel like I probably need to continue to explore it a little more. I will also say uh, I thought Amy Schumer and, and the, the you know, triple host sort of setup really exceeded my expectations on the weekend. So, you know, fair play to her. You know, I, I thought it was a good job. And obviously, so what turned out to be truly extraordinary circumstances. Um, yeah, you know, that's just not, it's not, there's not a lot of win in that gig. And I think that they kind of managed to find some. So, um, uh, yeah, I shout think out that to, to all three of our hosts. It was as good of a, a host job at the Oscars as you can have. Basically they, they didn't waste much time. They were funny. Uh, they were likable and they handled the insanity reasonably well. Um, that's about all you can ask for. Shout out to them. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I was in an Oscar pool, and the tiebreaker was how many minutes will the show run? Uh-huh. And I really bought into the ABC wants this thing in three hours thing in my guests. Oopsie. Um, and yeah, that was an unfortunate mistake on my part. And ultimately, the reason that I did not win my Oscar pool, because uh, it did come down to that tiebreaker. So, uh, what are yeah. you going to do? I don't know if. <laughs> I don't know if the decision to like show parts of the speeches and the presentation of the awards that were presented before the ceremony started was part of the plan or if it was something that they adjusted to based on uh, the, the backlash, but they need to just cut that shit entirely out. And look, mm. this podcast. I was sort of fine with how they handled it, honestly. I didn't think. Like I, I felt like if you came into that thinking that those decisions were disrespectful to those awards, like I, the way that they treated them was not entirely. No, it wasn't disrespectful at all. And here's the thing: like you and I both love movies. Uh, I think we're both very aware that it takes a village, and that editing in particular, but some of the other stuff that got bumped or or threatened to be bumped is very important. Uh, that's, this is a television show and it does not need to be three hours and 45 minutes long. It just doesn't nope. just cut sure. that shit right out. And by the way, I, I don't know quite how you manage this, but maybe cut some of the, the, the songs too. Yeah. I mean, it was a, you know, look, I get it. If you can get Beyonce, you get Beyonce, but like, um, yeah, there was a weird, a, a weird extra emphasis about like on singing this year. It's, it, I don't know. Maybe maybe I made this point before. If I have, forgive me. But it's just it reminds me so much of baseball, where like 
they have this problem that the game is too long and the people who like it are too old, but they keep conflating those problems that if they make it shorter, more young people will like it. And it's like, that's, yes, it's too long, but that's not what's keeping the young people away. You know what I mean? You may right. want to address that. Well, here's the in thing. In a different way. You can also, you can have that weird off-site performance by Beyonce and then don't do three of the other songs that no one's ever heard before, will ever hear again, or has ever cared about for a moment in their lives. You know? Do yeah. like... I mean, so you're going to do that, you're going to do Bruno, and you're going to do the Bond song at one, right? That's what you're going to do. There you go. That's three, and then you can cut two or three, and that will save you 10 or 15 minutes. Like, we just fixed 10 or 15 minutes for you, and nobody's upset. So... Well... It's still would except the people who got nominated but didn't get to perform. Yeah, but <laughs> like, but but again, it's a television right, so show, not a competition exactly. show. The awards have already been decided, so equal time doesn't matter. Like, calm down. the The Grammys are are awards based entirely around music, and no one's getting equal time. They choose a handful of people to perform based on who they want to see perform on the television show. That's what this should be. Yep. And right, who they want to perform is entirely based on what they think is going to rate. And like, and and I understand yeah. like the, the there's a glitz and a glamour, but like to suggest that taking the editing awards off the television show somehow disrespects the art of movie making is absurd. It's a ridiculous thing to think. I, I, I know editing is important, but also it's not like when I see who wins the Oscar, I somehow learn more about editing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are we doing I'm here? A movies, I, I have a higher opinion of the people that I think that make and work on movies than most people. And yeah, I'm entirely comfortable saying that, that the, the membership of the Academy is up its own ass so far that honestly their complaining is fairly meaningless to me because it's just, it's entirely about them. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, it, it is what it is. And clearly they did find a way to get young people interested in the show. So right, we'll see. We'll see how repeatable that is. I don't um, know if they found a way. I think, I think a way found them. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. I'm sorry. Uh, never mind. Next year. Next year we'll have a cage match. You gave me nothing so, for that. Sure. Nothing for where there's a will, there's a way. No, no, not that's. Not, I'm not. I'm not letting you let me go with that pun. Oh, <laughs> come on! It's too. It's, it's too dad jokey. I am. I am literally. This is not a joke. I am literally wearing a shirt that says "I tell dad jokes periodically," and it has uh, several. It has the periodic. Elements iodine, sodium, oh, no. and phosphorus, oh, no. which are J O K and E S. Uh, so, wow, that's actually cornier than that Will Smith joke. Right Much cornier. That's, that's, that's I'm a dad. What do you amazing. want me to do? We're literally <laughs> recording this while I watch my son nap on a monitor. Yeah, it's straight up. Um, all right, so before your son wakes up, let's talk about TMZ. Yeah, um, I have a feeling I like this a lot more than you did. Two, uh, I watched two. How many did you watch? I think There's three. Only four. I believe I watched okay. three. Um, I, maybe you liked it more than I did, but I I liked it more than I expected. I would like it, to be honest. I mean, I know it's a, somewhat a comic book, but it's not really. Uh, at least the parts that I watched. <laughs> 
for it. Totally like that. I think Rosario Dawson is super compelling. Um, you know, this sort of uh, post-apocalyptic civil war type situation, I think, is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm kind of here for DMZ. I'm surprised that I had not heard more about it to this point. Um, I would agree. Like you said, it comes from a comic book, but it's not like a superhero story or anything. There's no um, sort of enhancements or mystical elements that I've seen. Uh, and and I also enjoy, and especially I think it, it's fitting given the state of the world and our country, that they don't really tell you much about the civil war just that there's been a civil war the country's split in two and manhattan is a dmz and yeah. it's, it's i feel i you know this is a, i guess this is a weird commentary but i feel like a, uh, in a lot of way in a lot of spots i would be frustrated by that and want to know what the hell was going on but like you said this is a compelling story about a woman looking for her son and the post-apocalyptic sort of hellscape that Manhattan has become. And it's fascinating and entertaining. And, you know, Benjamin Bratt and the guy who plays Wilson, who I, I need to look up his name um, because I certainly have seen him before. Uh, Hoon Lee is his name. Uh, he's, he's like, he's a total that guy. Um, yeah. And. Oh, he's in Banshee. He is. Who's yeah. in Banshee? No wonder I've seen him <laughs> recently. Um, uh, his name is Job. Anyway. I'm going to get back to finishing Banshee. Uh, good show. Yeah. Fun show. We've talked about that. But anyway, they're all just big enough in these sort of again comic book but not superhero roles to sell the the kind of sensational story i i really enjoy it oh wait he, he he's the um uh, i, I want to make sure i use the proper term i think it's transvestite right uh in banshee is that is that correct yeah i don't know if i don't know if he's I don't know if he's supposed to be transgender or just cross-dressing. I, I, I don't, I don't want to mess up the terminology either. Yeah, I think he's just cross-dressing on the show. I think, I, I think that's if right. If I have that wrong, it's, but, it's, it's an error. You know, what I, do we know? Maybe he's like, uh, maybe he's just uh, gender non-binary. Uh, uh, but that's the character, yes. Yes. Yeah, sorry if we got the terms wrong. There's a, I've learned there's a, there's a tremendous array of terms out there. Um, happy Transvisibility Day, everybody. Um, but yeah, I really like this show. Uh, and obviously, it's four episodes, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bang out the other two, uh, yeah. uh pretty quick as well. So, uh huh. Uh, so this is a thumbs up for me. And I will tell you, like, it's it's it gets pretty explosive. It's 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 a fun watch. Um, all right. Well, it's 420 in Chicago, so I feel like that means we ought to uh, wrap up and, and do some homework for me. 
you saying you have some homework of your own already assigned that has to take place within the next <laughs> 60 seconds? Um, I'm just trying to help you uh, be ready when that kid wakes up. Oh, that, you uh, know what? I appreciate it. I'm sorry for uh, judging or, or suggesting otherwise. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what do we got? You wrote it down, right? Tell me you wrote it down. I did. Yes. I did write it down because otherwise I wouldn't be lost. So obviously we'll be back with the more Top Chef. Uh, the new Marvel series Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, Ethan Hawkson. Yes, I believe he is. And of course, Oscar Isaac is the lead. It's a very high level um, actor group, as as I suppose should not surprise us uh, at this stage of the Disney Marvel stuff. Sure. That's the only thing I know about the show. Like, I don't know anything about the story of the characters. So it's going to be fun to just kind of jump in with the with no background to see, see where it takes me. Right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I know that there's some weirdness going on and that, uh, you know, the the Moon Knight, as it were, is maybe like not totally in control of his own powers or some such thing. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what it's about. And I have high hopes. This is a weird era of Marvel stuff we're entering. And I know this isn't really your thing, but just for, for me, as not a huge comic book guy, but a pretty big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, we are getting into the heroes that I know far less about because we're sort of get the next phase of Marvel is largely off the beaten path. You know, I didn't really know much about Doctor Strange before he showed up in the Cinematic Universe, and I'd never heard of the Eternals, and I don't know who Moon Knight is. So uh, I'm flying a lot blinder than I than I ever have been with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we, we mentioned that DMZ came from a comic it's a DC comic book. Um, yeah. But, man, I wouldn't mind seeing a Marvel story that seemed to actually just be about people. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, with minus, minus superpowers. Well, um, I don't think that's what this is. Even if some of the rest is, of it was but... comic book Yeah, <laughs> I, don't think that's, I don't think that's either, but you were talking about the next phase. So, yeah. uh, you know, that would be on my agenda. But I guess I, I probably, uh, I, I would say that there probably is not a huge slice of America who's looking for Marvel shows without superpowers. You but might be in the minority one, so. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, here we are. Uh, all right, so we're doing Moon Knight, but we're also doing Moon Shot. Uh, oh, we are? I thought we took that off. Comedy. I, well, I, I wrote it down. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so let's do it. That's on HBO Max, right? A lot of Condors in there. Yep. Uh, actually, I'm just assuming it's a romantic comedy because a lot of Condors in it. She uh, you are... do other things. Well, I hope she can, but you have assumed correctly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then the uh, last item on the agenda is a Netflix show. Uh, movie? Movie. movie? Uh, it's called The Bubble, and I'll hand it to you because uh, I knew nothing about it before you brought it up. It's a movie about a movie. Uh... <laughs> um, but not like Mank. It's a, a movie about a a big action movie getting filmed during a pandemic. So obviously a pretty topical thing, um, but it stars, among others, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, the the entire Apatow clan, Iris, uh, Leslie Mann, I I believe Judd shows up, Pedro Pascal is in it, David. Is, Is Maude in it? I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the whole list, but David Duchovny, okay. uh, Karen Gillan. It's uh, 
Benedict Cumberbatch makes an appearance. It is a big, long list of people you know. Kate McKinnon. Uh, so it should be fun. It seems like a fun time. That's how, that does sound fun. Yeah. I'm into that. All right. Um, so those are the three. Um, uh, Judd I'm Apatow like, directed, by the way. Oh, great. Great. Hope it's better than his tweets. Um, Oof. I'm going to, uh, to, to make an effort to watch women's basketball tonight. Um, so Final that's four? not going to be the whole word. Yeah, but I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that was I was just figuring you might want to weigh in. I don't know, but you've got Stanford. It's gonna be fun. South Carolina hanging around. Yeah, uh, no, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. I, I'll I'll be you know playing with children and and watching uh, possibly Moon Knight with my wife. But I support you. All right. Uh, yeah. And then we got the men on Saturday. Got a uh, yeah. So there's gonna be lots of other stuff going on with the the addition of these shows. I'm going uh, to a wedding well. this weekend. Um, tomorrow, anyway. And it is a wedding that's going to be filled with people who love sports. So I'm interested to see what happens as far as uh, those two Final Four games, both of which are very interesting. One of which is obviously yes. more interesting, not just to you, but to probably the entire basketball consuming world i i can't believe i didn't bring this up earlier we got through all the homework right yeah how are you feeling because you're in a weird spot like duke has really looked like the best team in the country at the same time your team beat them are you glad or or do you now feel a little like maybe maybe winning that first one wasn't (laughs) the best idea Oh, no, I mean, I think, you know, from a Carolina perspective, you want Duke, right? Like, that's – you'd rather play Duke than random other good team. Right, um, but but is there part of you that's like, I kind of wish we had hung in there to show that we're, we're capable of competing and then lost that last one at the very end? Nah, I don't, I don't think that matters so much because, uh, you know, the, the, this Carolina team, obviously, right, like that, that Duke one was a, kind of, you know – the sort of crest of, of momentum for them, right? Right. It's really sort of propelled the team to kind of play in the way that they're playing now. So I, I, I don't. I think Duke's the team you want to see of these four. So, um, so yeah, I don't. I, it doesn't. I'm not. None of that gives me pause. I'm not saying they're going to win the game. I also have my doubts, having watched Duke a fair amount this year, that they're capable of putting together uh, six straight quality performances. That's fair. Um, That's fair. But. So, their numbers coming. That was kind of what I feel like. But don't you think they've looked better than Villanova or Kansas to this point? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would. I would. I would say that to this point. But but if you're Carolina, you're not going to have any fear of these guys. You see them every That's year. True. You see them twice already this year. Yeah. You just not. So. Um, it's it's very you know, exciting. Whereas Kansas and Nova are new, right? And and Carolina has some some Nova history. So, yeah, and uh, and I'll tell you what, I guess in the end it makes sense because I probably would have remembered it, but I kind of couldn't believe when I kept when I heard for the first of now a thousand times that this was the first time these teams have ever met in the tournament. It is borderline insane considering that they've been going to the tournament pretty much every year for yeah. uh, half a century, right? <laughs> so, uh-oh. I mean, that's the crazy thing. So, now, I obviously, like, 
teams within conferences are usually put in position where they're not likely to face each other, right? So it it, it does make some sense. And and again, we probably would remember it, and we don't, obviously. But it's still kind of uncanny. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's a great way to, you know, like the idea, that's the other part of this, right? If you're Carolina and thinking about who you want to face, you have a chance to send Coach K home with a loss. After yeah. you, after you spoiled his last home game with a loss, right? Yes, like, it's great. And those are things he will. Right, you can have that over him forever. And we right? can all so, agree as we say goodbye for the week. Go Tar Heels. Go Tar Heels. <laughs> this is delicious. I can't wait. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The doors closed. The lights out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the Jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.